everybody. I'm Sasha Feiler. I'm Stephen Cohen. And this is Shut Up, I Love It. A podcast where our guests come on to champion a part of culture that's underrated and or underappreciated. Joining us today, she is an internet and live theater comedian based in Los Angeles. She writes sketch comedy for the UCB mod team, The Summer Of, and she loves being on podcasts. Professional credits of Lorraine's. I already gave out her name. Boy, spoiler alert for two seconds for that. Tukin Birdie on Netflix, Crazy Eggs Girlfriend, Super Mansion, and Bojack Horseman. That's right. Joining us today is Lorraine DeGraffin Wright. What's up, guys? Hello. Steven, Sasha, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being here thank today you. to talk about. We're going to talk about generally, loosely, Brittany Murphy. And Britney Murphy movies, but very specifically and sharply, Uptown Girls. Yeah, the film Uptown Girls, starring Britney Murphy and Dakota Fanning. Very young and cute, may I say, Dakota Fanning. I would mm-hmm. have to say Dakota Fanning is the real star of this film. Real quick, uh, give a brief summary of what this movie is about. Uh, Brittany Murphy is the daughter of a deceased kind of rock legend. Is his name Tommy Gunn? Tom Gunn? Tom Gunn. Molly Gunn is her name. She kind of lives this life of luxury as a socialite in New York City until her wealth disappears and she's forced to take a job as a nanny to a um, precocious, well, is precocious the right word? I think a so. Hypochondriac. Yeah. A, a meat a, freak. Yeah, mm-hmm. a freaky child. Freaky, uh, freaky, rich, maladjusted um, child. And you're really asking yourself the question, who's the adult here? Who's the adult? Who's the child? There are uh, no adults here is the answer <laughs> as one of the famous quotes of the film. Yeah, uh, that's generally like the rough summary of the movie right Lorraine Mm. why do you like uptown girls oh my god what isn't there to like okay I'll start by talking about personal connection stuff I'll give myself away there's a lot of good like daddy daughter vibes for this movie if you are a young woman who had a really close relationship with your father or you had any kind of like friction fraught relationship with your father you're gonna love this movie you're gonna it's gonna tug at your heartstrings you're, so you're saying there's something here for any father-daughter relationship any father-daughter relationship except maybe it sounds like a, di- a middling relationship. yeah yeah like a really there's... strong relationship you're gonna love it <laughs> if, a really fractured if you have, relationship like neutral like feelings it. about your dad eh, maybe watch uh i was gonna say clueless but i'm like nope nope because there's some daddy daughter stuff there too whatever just uh stop watching movies if that's you um <laughs> go talk to your dad yeah go talk to dad call him text him check in also i was i grew up going to like private girl school like that kind of thing and that's like big in this movie it's sort of like subtle you will miss it on your first watch but it's like really important like it's what the dakota fanning character is going through and it's what the Brittany murphy character is going through I studied ballet for like 10 years. Not a lot of people know this about me, but the ballet thread, oh, it gets me. I love it. Feeling out of time with coming of age stuff. I kind of feel like I've had a million adolescents. I feel like it's not done. I think I'm still going through an awkward phase. And this movie is really good for that. It's never too late or too early to be growing up. 
It does sound like a really good movie when I it's listen to It's so Lorraine. good. Okay, also, my name is Lorraine. The Dakota Fanning character's name is also Lorraine. Wow, I didn't she, even make that connection. She spells it Lorraine like Lorraine Newman's name, Lorraine. Mm. But yeah, being a young person with an old person's name, it's a very specific experience, and I caught that, and I'm like, yes, me did too. Did you tell people to call you Ray? No, I did not. Um, people growing up called me a lot of things, like Rain, Rainy, and then as I got older and met other Lorraines, they thought it was crazy that I went by Lorraine. They're like, you don't go by Lori? And I'm like, who wow. is Lori? I don't see, there are no Lori's here. I don't know her. Being a foreign person, like to me, name Lorraine sounds very nice. Like I don't hmm. see like the oh. sort of the baggage. I don't sense that. It has a, like that. a nice mellifluous yeah. sound to Lorraine. it. Like, sounds beautiful. Like cellar door. Cellar, cellar door. door. Lorraine. <laughs> I also fucking love pop music, and so this movie's great for that. We can cuss on this podcast? No, I think I've said the F word before. Don't tell my parents. The last thing I want to say is that Donald Faison <laughs> is basically my older brother. Like, my older brother acts like Donald Faison. Like, if... If ever I get the chance to, like, make the movie That's My Brother's Life, I really hope Donald Faison would be down to play him. Was he big on Scrubs, right? Yeah. Big on Scrubs. Yeah. Big and Clueless. Big for him. So many other things. He he has, like, a bit character in Can't Hardly Wait. He shows up in Josie and the Pussycats. <laughs> I love Donald Faison. Oh, yeah. He's part of, like, the boy group. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's so funny. He's so good. Also, I think, okay. You know, everybody's always like, oh, Paul Rudd doesn't age. What magic elixir did Paul Rudd have? Sure. But Donald Faison more than Paul Rudd. Like, I think it's racist that people are ignoring Donald Faison in that conversation. (laughs) It's important. So I wonder if people are worried that they would be called racist for pointing that out. I don't know. Because, you know, there's the whole black don't crack. I forgot. I forgot. Because I, um, and black. We, we <laughs> yes. have to remember the only thing scarier than actual racism is a white person afraid of being called racist. That I think is worse because it's like a fear of like, I don't want to, you're stuck. But when you're actually racist, I think you're just like free. <laughs> oh, yes, white power. <laughs> the interesting thing about this movie, though, there's only one black character. I think there's might be mm. another maid of color. and uh, There might be a doorman. Yeah, I think there's a doorman. And I think, ooh, man, that movie is hella white. I think maybe <laughs> one like of the New York nurses. City, just know? like the uptown. Everyone knows New York City, the whitest city in the country. <laughs> one of the nurses in the house might be mm. black. You don't get a great sense of her life outside of nannying for Ray. Even though she lives with these people for different amounts of time, she has a friend named Ingrid, played by Marley Shelton who she lives with for a while, who is just kind of a jerk. She's and like, terrible. Really, like, weird. Uh... Really weird. I would say that that friendship, if we can call it that, is the most far-fetched, unbelievable thing in the whole movie. And this movie is pretty fantastical. I would call this a modern-day fairy tale. Mm. There's a lot of magic and whimsy, and, like, that would never happen. But that friendship is the hardest for me to, like, yeah, understand. Ingrid hosts a lot of yoga parties and Cooking with the party, baking parties. very badly portrayed uh, Indian yoga teacher. Uh, I think the actress who played Ingrid had to fight 
the meanness of her character mm. the way it was written because a lot of times I'll be like she just said a horrible thing and she's a very bad human being and then I would look at her and she would give this like sweet smile to the think, lead and I'll be like oh no no she, she likes her do you think that's a a failing of the performance or that's Marley Shelton trying to put some dimension into this that's not on the page the latter uh -huh. i i think there's a lot of tone issue with this movie and that's just one of the manifestations mm. of maybe poor directing but definitely the actor just fighting the two-dimensional character that they've been given yeah to be fair to her she wasn't given a lot to work with on the page like there's the beat where she's planned this whole surprise party for her friend who's still late and in bed this is and the not opening showing up. Of the film. This is in the beginning. And like that's kind of hard to sell. It's like what's going on with this friend? Like why doesn't she just know what's up with her sleeping friend? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like why didn't she just send someone to go get her and like figure out how to trick her to come? You know why why like who is what is this character? Already you're well, confused. Well this is an issue that persists through to the end of the movie wherein characters make plans around the Brittany Murphy character. It's weird. But seem to also understand that there's a pretty good chance she's just not going to show it's up. So, it's so strange. It's like if this person were in your life, you would not expect them to be anywhere <laughs> at any given time. <laughs> anyway, and then there's the whole thread of like the whole middle part where Brittany Murphy is kind of homeless and she's taking her in and it seems like there's this strange like pygmalion relationship like she wants to convert her <laughs> into this like stay-at-home mom that isn't attached to anything she has two friends that are like her in this like very buttoned down mm -hmm. hyper white way and yeah it does seem like she's trying to stepford wives Brittany murphy too right yes and i i don't want to erase the fact that one of the friends is asian true true yeah that's that's on me so uh, I guess I, I meant white in person. <laughs> but no, you're right. Like it was definitely white in performance. Yeah. This is the, these were very white friendships. And so then, but she won't, right? Brittany Murphy yeah, she, will not conform will not. to this. And so then she goes and stays with Donald Faison's it's character. It's impressive to me that the Brittany Murphy character even comes up with half the rent as she is instructed to do. You know that rent is huge. Crazy rent. It's uptown. But Crazy she, rent. Well, so Dakota Fanning is the daughter of a record mogul played by Heather Locklear. She runs a, a studio, a, a label, yes. uh, that Donald Faison also works for. So I bet her pay is pretty good mm -hmm. on that nanny beat. Like definitely more than... I want to say all of us make yeah doing like, whatever it is that we do. The Heather Locklear <laughs> character is the kind of mom who's just going to pay for problems to go away. Yeah. So she's like, let me just give this nanny the kind of money where she doesn't follow up with questions. Just take this money and solve whatever problems come with your nanny life. Sasha, have you seen this movie before? And if not, what was your impression of Brittany Murphy going into this? Because this is kind of, that I can think of, this is the Brittany Murphy vehicle from her short, you know, tragically short career. You feel that way? You feel like this is the one? I don't know. I feel we... like this is the one that is couched as a Brittany Murphy movie. L Little Black Book? No? I don't know what that is. Um, Ramen Girl? No? Yeah, I think the issue of this podcast um, will be the fact we, that Steven and I are not very mm -hmm. into watching maybe the kind of movies that Brittany Murphy would be in on I've our own. I've seen Clueless. I haven't seen 8 Mile. 
But that even is not, neither of those are like a Britney Murphy movie, right? That makes right? sense. Those are movies that Britney Murphy is in. And yeah, these movies that you're naming, Lorraine. Love and Other Disasters? No yeah, one? Yeah, these are movies I've never even heard of. Second that. I just feel like there's this whole like like niche in the, the movie scape that I have access to that no one else in the world has access to. Like, how are people not seeing these? These are Britney Murphy movies. They're so good. And so this, I think, is the one that kind of had escape velocity, right? This is a movie that most people who were active in pop culture at the time that this movie came out have heard of, if not seen. I didn't even know that. Like, I am I am so, like, living under a rock in this area that I didn't realize that Uptown Girls was, like, somehow set apart from those other ones I listed. Like, to me, those are on the same level. But And also, Stephen, you told me before that on Rotten Tomatoes, people don't like this movie. Yeah, They're and we not. can get into that. This movie's Rotten Tomato score is in the teens. I think it went from 14 to 13 recently. Because so a couple of days ago, I looked it up and it was 14. added a new negative review. I'm so confused. I don't understand. I feel like we're watching different movies. So, Sasha, what is your if any, connection to Uptown Girls and Britney Murphy. I don't have any connection with uh, this movie or watching Britney Murphy movies mm. specifically. Mm. I am not like a big rom-com, fairy tale mm-hmm. kind of whimsical is definitely the word that would turn me off <laughs> from a movie. Usually, there are exceptions. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. The Tim Burton one. Yeah. You know what? I kind of like that movie, yeah. too. But, you know, anyway, what, what I'm <laughs> That's saying... That's not a rom-com, though. Oh, no, I was saying the, mu- the whimsical, whimsical. The whimsical oh, connection. Whimsical. Yeah. I think if you watch that movie again, you'll find it is a romantic <laughs> comedy. Okay. So, anyway, I guess uh, for me, this uh, experience of watching this movie is the encapsulation of Brittany Murphy and okay. her acting. This it, movie it. is your Brittany Murphy impression right now. Yes. That's a, you know what? I like that we have that perspective here because I can't wait to hear what that makes you think of her. For me, I did see this movie around when it came out, not in theaters, I think on like home video. And should we say it came out in 2003? I, yeah, I've seen several movies that she's in. Clueless is the one that jumps to mind most clearly. But yeah, I did not have like a strong connection to Uptown Girls. I was more than willing to go back and revisit it. And I was interested to see some of the other people in it, including Donald Faison, who I definitely, I watched Scrubs at the time, so I was a fan of his. And also Jesse Spencer. So Jesse Spencer plays a character named Neil Fox. And you may know Jesse Spencer. Very cute. You may know him from House where he played English Doctor. I think that was his character's <laughs> name. And now he's on Chicago Fire, which is a very long-running procedure. I'm really glad this. you guys had any other credits for this guy, because me, no. I have to imagine he's probably playing an American on Chicago Fire, right? Would, he's probably not. I would think so. I wonder how his American accent is. We'll never find out, because no one has ever watched that show, even though it's been on for 10 years. <laughs> so yeah, I was interested to see him in this movie. Also, Austin Pendleton who is like a mainstay of neo-screwball comedies from like the 70s. He's the other tenant in her building who doesn't like that she has flowers in the hall. Got it. Yeah, I remember that. Mm -hmm. Very small part. But yeah, so I was excited to revisit it, and I have thoughts that we can talk about. Have you experienced your own change in these two screenings Um, with the men you were before and the men you are now? You know, I think before I was a Neil Fox. 
And now I'm a Huey. You were just making fun of this movie, which <laughs> is formative for me. Am I the only person in here who cries when this movie is playing? Yes, because I did not cry during oh the my God. Of this movie. There were a couple moments in this movie where I could feel the movie making that effort to pull on my heart. Oh, and no cries from you. Um, nothing was produced. It did not completely fail in that regard. I did feel some emotion at certain parts, uh, like the end. I get, even though I have a lot of problems with the ending. Like okay. I, the, I can't wait to get into it. So why don't we get into okay. it? Let's get into now. it. So we established the premise, right? She's the nanny for this girl. They are kind of teaching each other about life. Brittany Murphy is learning how to be more mature. Dakota Fanning is learning how to be a kid. All the while, Brittany Murphy is kind of obsessed with this musician played by Jesse Spencer, and it's kind of inexplicable why she <laughs> She saw him, she liked him, she brought him home. Mm-hmm. Did they have sex? It's implied. Okay, they did. It is. Donald Faison introduces us to the concept of this character as being celibate, but then they do have sex. She kind of becomes obsessed with him. He is not that interested, but her kind of driving force for, I'd say, like the first half of the movie is to get him interested in her again which is lame but she kind of learns over the course of the movie that he's not important she has hidden talents that she did not know about that come out out of this back and forth with this guy also there's a pivot where dakota fanny has invited her to tea which is a really big deal and she says to her people let you down people are disappointing instead of wallowing in heartbreak over some stupid guy you should probably take some time to do something for yourself and good advice yeah. Out of the mouth of a eight-year-old, mm-hmm. and so the movie sort of transitions. She has this new, real relationship with this eight-year-old, and they are best friends, I guess. And she does. She focuses more on herself and improving her life. And in that time, she discovers that Neil, this musician, is like a total like leech and has like ripped her off intellectual property-wise, and like his whole image and everything about his pop stardom kind of is a tribute to what he gleaned from his brief friendship with Molly. And she's all like, ugh, well, I really don't need this guy. He just steals from me. So Dakota Fanning's father is uh, in a persistent vegetative state after a stroke. Brittany Murphy kind of encourages Dakota Fanning to still have try and have a relationship with him, despite the fact that he can't have a relationship back. He dies next day the next day (laughs) you find that funny i think that that is it's tragic and possible that could so happen it could it could he was gonna die any day that's true dakota fanning does establish that he's going to die soon toward the beginning of the movie he dies dakota fanning (laughs) is just such an attempt from the screenwriter to be like this is not going to be just a random thing that happens because he is about to die any day. And I find there's a lot of moments like that in this. There's a lot of just bad timing. Also, I'm like Googling now for the first time and I'm seeing that everyone hates this movie. (laughs) So sad for me. So uh, he passes. Dakota Fanning is very upset, blames Brittany Murphy for making her care. And Brittany Murphy is fired. Anyway, they reconcile at the end of the movie on Coney Island, and then some time passes. Brittany Murphy is deciding she's going to go to fashion design school, but she realizes in this interview she's late for Dakota Fanning's ballet recital. And at the recital, Dakota Fanning's like, I I know she's not going to make it. She never comes. 
Despite that fact, Dakota Fanning has planned an entire performance that is specifically designed for the audience of Brittany Murphy. Yeah. No one else in this audience should really understand (laughs) what is happening. Brittany Murphy, as part of her loss of money, had to sell all of her father's guitars. And um, they end up getting sold for a pretty good amount. $75,000. $75,000 to an anonymous buyer at auction. Which we all knew who would. Well, I still am not sure who it is. It is Jesse. Wait, yeah. Is it him? It's not yeah. Heather Locklear? It's or, Neil. Uh, so I was not sure. Is it? Is it Neil? Is it Heather Locklear? Or is it Dakota Fanning? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'd be so cool if it was Dakota Fanning. Whoa, you're right. They don't really confirm it because it could be Heather Locklear. It could be Dakota I mean, Fanning. It, there's no reason why it would be the Heather Locklear character, but it could be her at the behest of Dakota Fanning. See, I have to say, I did not like the movie so much that I had to watch it in like six installations <laughs> because I just could not get more than a few minutes of it. But uh, and I thought I missed them revealing that Neil Fox, the handsome uh, English guy or Australian guy, English? Yeah, he might be Australian. Oh, sure. I don't know. Hmm. Ooh, I'm, I'm, vaguely UK is I'm what I thought. I'm bad at discerning those two accents sometimes. Wait, he's the one that bought the guitars. So then I was like, did I miss it? And so no, then I went miss. on Wikipedia and they are saying that he's the one that bought him. So I don't know if it was an original screenplay. I didn't know that. Well, here's why. I always assumed and never questioned until this very moment that that Neil character bought them. One, in the very beginning, he's so intrigued by them. And then when Molly has to sell them, it's like, oh, my God, this is my dad. It's like her dad is dying a second death. And I don't know, I guess with the whole like her parents relationship is being replaced by these new relationships. I just kind of thought that the man in her life would be like the new what she lost from her parents dying, if that makes any sense. That's vague and loose, and that's me doing a lot of work, but that's what I thought. And then in the end, when he's on stage and he's strumming the guitar and he says, this was Tim Gunn's, I think, like, first acoustic guitar. Tim Gunn from Project Run. Tim Gunn! Uh, Make it work. No, no, no. Tom Gunn. Tommy Gunn? (laughs) Tom Tom Gunn. Tommy Gunn would be such a silly name. It because is that is like game. a type of gun. It's a dumb name. <laughs> and that's also a character in Rocky Five. Let's call him Mr. Gun. Mr. Gun's guitar. And I think he says, he just says something like that for the audience. So they know that it's this rock legend's guitar. And we see Molly's face light up. So we know, oh my gosh, he bought at least one of those guitars. And then you see all of the guitars. So yeah, all the ballerina girls bring out all these guitars and they do a little dance with the electric guitars while Neil is singing this song that Molly's father wrote for her. And uh, also Dakota Fanning is doing like an interpretive dance that shows how she has... Preform or Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, That shows how she has embraced being a child. And her moves are just like direct influence from molly's free dancing moves and i just want to point out at the end of this there's a standing ovation from an audience who has no idea what just happened no 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 now don't now play fair now they don't know know that molly gun is in the audience they don't have any connection to these guitars what they are rooting for are there are two things one this neil pop star guy they Mm -hmm. know this guy they go gaga for this guy anything this pop star does they're gonna be excited about i'll buy that oh part two of this (laughs) 
This is the final dance recital. They've been watching Dakota Fanning through this whole year. They all know who she is. They know that she's uptight. They know that she doesn't like to freestyle dance. They know she is this little girl who choreographed this whole thing by herself and was so carefree and so fun. Look at her and her new playful thing. Also, they know her dad just died like a week prior, two weeks prior. I think- yes, they do. Is she okay. even liked in the, no. the school? I think they hate her. But here's the thing that everybody needs to understand about these ballet schools and also these private girl little communities. No, this is true. You have contacts that that I don't have. Everyone talks. Everyone knows everything about everyone. Even if you behave badly, your status might still be such that you're getting support from people. So Dakota Fanning, she has all these mental problems and she's so mean and she's so like closed off and doesn't want to do the freestyle dance. Everyone knows that it's because her mother is detached and not involved. Everyone knows that she's got tons of money and this girl is just cursed and it's not likely that she's going to have a good childhood. But look at her feeling herself and having a good time and dancing around like a normal kid. That is quite a breakthrough. Her dad just died. Give it up for her. Everybody, Lorraine DeGraffenwright is killing so there's that. All right, I'll buy that. Uh, maybe I'm, I buy it as like a person who uh, is listening to the pitch of this movie, <laughs> and we already have the money, and why not just make this movie right now? Because we already have all the stars attached, and there's nothing that stops <laughs> us now. But yeah. as a as a viewer of this film, it was just another moment of me being like. How convenient. So Uh that's not my problem with the ending. My problem with the ending is this attempt that it makes to redeem the Neil character who does not deserve it, you know? Like, at a certain point, once Molly stops kind of paying attention to him, he tries to get her to come back. He calls her his muse. and Very manipulative. Yeah, right. He tries to manipulate her, essentially, and it feels really... that feels gross, right? To me, it yeah. does not feel like he really wants her to come back. And then they have this like grand gesture moment performed at the behest of a child who has also said that she does not like him. Mm-hmm. And I just don't think that that part makes sense. And for me in that moment, I was like, oh, this sucks. Yeah, like, this like, part I of hope the they don't end up together. Well, yeah. And that's how the movie ends. It ends with this performance and then credits. But it feels like they want you to think, you know, maybe things are going to work out between these two. And, you know, he spent (laughs) $75,000. I want to thank you guys for this analysis of this ending, because I think that every time that I saw this movie before, I was so overcome with emotion. I was not in a headspace to question what was happening. I rewatched this movie like once every like five or six years. No joke. I think that last night I watched this movie as a full-grown woman for the first time and here's what I mean by that before when I would watch it I always interpreted that scene of Neil having his big uh, redemption moment I always thought of that as being like the beginning of something him trying like oh let me just do this and try to win Molly over and this will be the beginning of us starting a normal relationship but last night I was definitely feeling the thing that steven is saying which is it's gross like who is this man you suck but also like her change right her arc up to this point has been to not need him and she does not need him 
she stops relying on people in general in the way that she did before, including her friends. She gets her own apartment. She doesn't have to stay with Donald Faison or Ingrid anymore. She has a blooming career of making jackets for, <laughs> for various rock stars. Mark McGrath mm-hmm. and Dave Navarro are going to yeah. buy. And also Fisher Stevens yeah. is weirdly in that scene. So they're at the wake for Dakota Fanning's dad. And Molly accidentally ruined Neil's lucky jacket. And then in a temp- just put like cookies on fire uh, actually, right. how she do you put out do a that? fire scientifically i don't know how that's possible <laughs> she tries to put out the flames using his lucky jacket right and it gets burned to hell and so she in an attempt to fix it changes it into a completely different jacket she just yeah. like takes some like leopard prints she definitely has a taste of a very elderly like woman because <laughs> even when the first time i saw her apartment i'm like this is gross like it's weird she's supposed to be 20 22 they make a big point at the beginning of that movie of how old that is yeah 22 she has a forehead wrinkle Mm, there's a guy at the party who's 19 and he's like i'm 19 you're 22 man i was gonna kill myself if i turned 22 (laughs) but i was the first time i saw her apartment it reminded me of the act the tv show on hulu where patricia arquette is oh my god yeah has a daughter in a wheelchair wait wait why did that house why did that apartment make you think of that house because there's so many like stuffed animals and just like pink color pink it is indulgent it's indulgent and there's lack of style or taste and I think both of these production designer inspirations came from like sort of immature mm-hmm. persons. Perspective. It's like, right. I'm I a the, princess. I want to be a princess forever. That kind of feeling. The, op- the movie opens with narration by Dakota Fanning that kind of establishes the fairy tale yeah. metaphor here, talking about how there were there was a king and a queen and they died and their daughter was left in the castle. And that's referring to, you know, Molly's parents dying and now she lives. So, yeah, there's this sense that she never grew up, right? Mm-hmm. She's stunted at this age that she was when her parents died, despite being the ugh, ripe old age of 22. <laughs> now. But this is the year she's got to grow up. <laughs> so she remakes this jacket. She gives it back to Neil and he hates it he's and this like, is what makes him break up with her mm-hmm. yeah he's so offended well right he's never outright said that he doesn't want to see her anymore but but it's very clear that he doesn't and after this jacket thing he's like fuck you bitch he doesn't say any it's of that, pretty condescending it's he, he's basically saying things that the ingrid character has been saying to her which is like you're a mess you, you don't fit with my lifestyle you're holding me back like i have to Break ties with you so that I can go be an adult and you can go gallivant and be young forever if you want to, you trash. (laughs) But why was it the jacket thing that like really became the straw that broke the camel's back? He was so cold when he was saying that. And, you know, he's like, you know, I guess charismatic actor even at the time before, you know, he became bigger character in house. But uh, (laughs) but I I, character English doctor. Yeah, but. He's just such a lack of interest of excitement or chemistry between the two actors oh, yeah, that uh, it was really hard for me to see why would she be so crazy about him. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And there's some suggestion that like she does this a lot, that this is the manifestation of her daddy issue, right? Mm-hmm. And he performs that fantasy at the end. Mm-hmm. He becomes her daddy in that song performance. <laughs> That's a weird uh, yeah. interpretation No, I mean, it is complicated because it's like she says to him in the beginning, please don't sing that song. It reminds her of the night her parents died. Mm-hmm. And then he gives this song new meaning, supposedly, in this final dance scene. So it's like 
This isn't about when your parents died. This is about now, the moment when you became an adult and helped this little girl get in touch with herself after her dad died. So this is now an anthem of your, I don't know, like your cycle of grief kind of like coming Mm. to a close. There's know. a lot of psychological method of flooding that, that's just happening in this movie. So it's like if you don't like something, we are going to make you face it at like a mm. crazy scale. Yeah. So if Dakota Fanning's character is afraid of germs, we're going to take a New York subway. You're just going to mm-hmm. be in this dirty train. You we're have gonna... to get a Nathan's hot dog. You have to. You yeah. have to. It's the ticket in to Coney Island. Yeah. And the same thing with emotions for Brittany Murphy's character. If you feel upset when somebody even talks about your dad, let's just pretend that I'm your dad and mm-hmm. sing the song to you, uh, addressing you in front of all these people looking at you. So he's very upset about this jacket. He breaks up with her finally. And then it, it becomes an integral part of his pop star persona. He writes this song called Sheets of Egyptian Cotton. It's the best which song. I, Guys, buy the soundtrack. I love this song. That line, Sheets of Egyptian Cotton, has been like stuck in my head for <laughs> a decade. And I never knew why. I couldn't remember what the song was. And then midway through the movie, she's getting a job at a sheet store. Is that what the place is? And she, sheet store. She it's mentions... just a fancy department store that happens to sell linens. Okay. <laughs> she mentions that they are sheets of Egyptian kind. I was like, oh, like that song that I know. So imagine my surprise when I find this song, <laughs> Sheets of Egyptian Cotton, is from this movie. Uptown Girls, guys, very zeitgeisty. Check it out. It's sort of like a cyborg realizing that they're not fully human. <laughs> yeah. They put it in my brain. <laughs> And so at this wake, Mark McGrath and Dave Navarro both come up to Molly and ask her to make clothes for them. This was the lowest point for me (laughs) watching this movie of disappointment in screenwriting. (laughs) And then for some reason, Fisher Stevens walks up to them and says, guys, we got to go. And that's like his only line in the movie. I don't understand. Garth Brooks wants to meet (laughs) you guys. That's what it is. And they're like, really? No, not Garth. We want to talk to Molly Gunn here about fashion. And he's like, sorry, guys. Okay, well, Molly, keep us posted. And then she goes to, I think, FIT. She goes. I think that's what they're hinting at. FIT. Institute of Technology. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's New York, which is downtown. And oh, this was a black character. She's interviewing her and she's like, wow, with references like these, why don't you just go ahead and get some gigs from your designer friends? And then Molly calls back to the Dakota fanning line. Fundamentals are the building blocks of fun. So she wants to learn at fashion school. And I do like that line. I like it too. Who said it first? Lorraine. Yourself. Oh, oh, sorry. And it was Baryshnikov. <laughs> that's right. right? Yeah. yeah. Who I'm sure you've never heard of, <laughs> she says. So, yeah, this is her big, you know, evolution. And then all in the service of this guy getting a Right. Oh, yeah. Okay. The thing I was trying to say before. So when I was younger and I was watching this movie, I was like, oh, my God, that guy is devastatingly cute. And that's all I was thinking about. But now as an adult woman watching it, I'm like, ugh. What is this story? It's so fucked up. It's really weird. He meets her at her birthday and he's like, no, no, no. I don't want to date you. Goes home with her. They're like about to make out. And he's just like giving his monologue on all the reasons why he's not going to date her. They have sex. 
he stays there for so long and she's like feeling like she's being suffocated and she's like oh my god when is he gonna leave and then when he leaves he's leaving in such a huff he's being so condescending and like you're wasting my time i have all these gigs this week i have work to do like i gotta get guitar strings at no point has he said thank you so much for having me over you know i've really had a good time he could have said that at any point he could have said your apartment's crazy it's great it's not my style but i really like you you're cool haven't had pez since i was a kid thanks for that i love it maybe Uh, i've seen my idol's guitars yes yes it's so crazy that your dad is your dad and i feel lucky to have had this connection with you he never says that which is shitty and then he goes off and like also his music is not great she calls it out she gives him good notes and he should have taken her note because like for one thing she's been in the music industry for way longer than he has so why not just say respectfully like i appreciate the note but i won't take it or something like that instead he was just like i'm not a sellout he's not a sellout that is in response to maybe you should add a chorus to your song so then the next connection that they have they go out to dinner or something and she's going through all this transformation stuff and she's excited about it and he tells her she talks too much okay so fuck that he's basically just pushing her away the entire movie until he realizes that he has monetized taking her advice he has taken in revenue from the fact that she has influenced his life and that is the only reason as steven so astutely pointed out that's the only reason why he wants to get back together with her he also sleeps with heather locklear's character so potentially dakota fanning's stepdad at this point (laughs) this new watch of the movie makes me really not like that character and i can't believe i never felt like this before for almost the entire movie is being treated the way that he should be treated which is kind of as trash Mm -hmm. and then at the end they just like it's like they don't want to completely pull the trigger on that so they want to pull back a little bit and i just i think it makes that ending worse also there's that moment where donald Faison points out molly is looking at the music video and she's so mad at him like oh that guy da, da, da. Mm. and donald Faison is like no 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 like hey first of all like that's my movie i produced that music video um so you're gonna go ahead and give me compliments now because i worked really hard <laughs> on producing this firstly second of all i'm the genius behind this not him he's an illusion everything that he is i made him professionally speaking and i appreciated that i could have used a little bit more of that i think we definitely needed more of that because otherwise it was like exposition exposition what am i uh, do i care what am i supposed to do with this is this character going to become more important no wait oh that's (laughs) this was his moment to shine and now we're moving on so i think maybe in this conversation lorraine do you have any insight on why this movie does not connect with people the way that it connects with you? Okay, well, I first want to say good work to you two because I think you both just walked me into finding something about this movie to hate, which I did not expect <laughs> not was going to happen. Intention. First of all, I've never really had a full conversation about Uptown Girls. It's just been yeah. this like private thing that like I watch alone every once in a while, and I just love unabashedly. And now I have a reason to really be skeptical like what the heck also as i was googling earlier i saw yeah there are a lot of plot holes that people are not into and as sasha pointed out the screenwriting is not stellar personally plot holes for me are not that big a deal you know a movie connects with you regardless of its plot so you know sometimes people come on the podcast and and i think they feel like because maybe Sasha and I don't like something as much as they do. Like they want to step back from how much they like that thing. And I just, I hope that's not 
how you might feel right now because your like for this thing is valid. Well, listen, I'd like to give credit to the aspects of the film that worked on me. Sure, yeah. Which is the relationship, the primary relationship of the film, I think, is really strong. Yeah, and I agree. The Brittany Murphy-Dakota Fanning relationship works. Definitely. And, like, the, yeah, their chemistry is crazy good. Like, all their scenes together are just amazing. But then also just the allure of the popular music. That hook, that Egyptian cotton thing that, like, wormed its way into Steven's brain, <laughs> that's not the only thing like that in that movie. There are a lot of things like that. And it kind of makes you, it distracts you from caring about all the other stuff that isn't working. A lot of unlikable characters. If you don't love Brittany Murphy, you're not going to like this movie. And I've actually she is had. The star. I could watch Brittany Murphy sashay around in um, underwear as outerwear. <laughs> big, fluffy, weird curls that don't make any sense. Her giant eyeballs. She kind of looks like. Ariel on land, like hmm. the Little Mermaid. I think Brittany Murphy for me is a live action Disney princess. So like, it's just really easy for me to enjoy these adventures. She is making a lot of choices that don't seem necessarily directed, but just like they are letting her personality kind of shine through in this character, which is interesting. You know, I think a lot of directors probably wouldn't. I think she definitely takes advantage of her moments with uh, increased emotionality. Like she's a very emotional actress, very expressive, yeah. you know, her eyes and just in general, like she's feeling the feelings and it's very fun to watch her feel the feelings. Yeah, it's in fun. This absurd world of the movie otherwise yeah and like all of her characters that she's ever played are like pop songs to me like it's just fun it's really it's nothing that i feel like thinking too deeply about it's so easy but that said that market is just so saturated and like of all of the people that you could pick to watch like that britney murphy is just not a lot of people's first choice so like i kind of understand why this whole thing would fall to the wayside i guess also Dakota Fanning's not necessarily everyone's cup of tea. Let's just say it. It's true. A we child. have not talked much about... This is like the peak of Dakota Fanning, right? Yeah. She really came on the scene as playing these kind of wise beyond the, her years characters. And I think this is maybe like the peak of that. Because this really is the two of them i remember parts of the trailer that are just like dakota fanning saying something adult right yeah That's... and she has some lines man like oh, i have to like pause and be like what they got that little girl to say that <laughs> and there's this one thing that i caught last night when it's during the uh, the sequence of like they're getting to be closer friends dakota fanning is seen beating up another school child and britney murphy pulls dakota fanning off and she's like what are you doing what's gotten into you are you mad and she's like i'm fighting her because her au pair says that my nanny is a slut bag whore and dakota fanning can't say it with a straight face i played it back <laughs> a couple times and i'm like that's their best take she's like laughing because she's funny. like i can't that's believe awesome. i get to say this on camera she also gives multiple people the middle finger yeah she does yeah she's underappreciated in the rotten tomatoes reviews I saw people call her performance stilted and unbelievable, yeah. but I actually did enjoy. I loved it. So I went through Rotten Tomatoes and kind of just picked out reviewers that I'm familiar with that like I like to read or whose opinions I find mm -hmm. interesting. And I found a few. Uh, one of them, Andrew Saris, who was kind of the f almost like 
driving force behind what is called the auteur theory, you know, which is the idea that the director is the author of a film, right? Despite the fact that hundreds of people are required to make a film, it's all the director's vision. So Andrew Saris said, Though I found Mr. Yakin's direction unexpectedly imaginative and the script often incongruously subtle, I couldn't get into the spirit of all the whimsy. The reason being the surprising lack of charm in the two leads, which just seems ridiculous. I disagree. As Stake much as I in did, my heart. Yeah, as much as I did not like the movie, I they the opposite. They yeah, carry that thing. Sure. All of the nonsense surrounding their relationship, I forgave because I couldn't wait for those connections again. Wow. Uh, this from Stephanie Zaharik, who's the former film critic for the LA Weekly. She said. A modern fairy tale that loads up big time on the girly trappings, but doesn't give you much in the way of plot or characters or even plain old sense. Okay, fair enough. That seems that's like fair. one that Sasha might agree more yeah. with. Yeah, I'm with her. Mm. Wait, before you continue yeah. about things being nonsense, the main thing that like makes this whole movie happen is that she loses her money because her money, her, her parents' money guy Bob just disappears like he's doing like fraud and stuff so he like took he all the made off yes before there something. was a made and yeah, this is where bernie madoff got the idea <laughs> and usually there's like insurance or like or someone who's like a fallback person who will like take care of the dependents of those clients you know mm. usually i think if this happened in real life like let's say let's independent of this whole like college admission scandal thing let's say olivia jade's parents disappeared and all their money did too she'd be okay there'd be some money somewhere for her absolutely there are other relatives whatever but in this story we had to buy that there were no other options molly was out on her but she had to get her own job and make it work well another example of lazy screenwriting because molly gone does ask at the office of the lawyer who brings a the bad news she says so is there an insurance and he's like nope no insurance so that's it i guess we're we just believe it and move on that's it we covered that <laughs> he we says don't need to you won't with- see a dime of that money for a very long time and so that's it yeah we never deal with it again and that's crazy so i agree with this rotten tomatoes reviewer the last short one i'll read this is from josh larson who's one of the hosts of the podcast film spotting which is like a big film podcast this one's weird (laughs) Brittany murphy once again flashing come hither lips hair legs and everything else when her dark eyes would do just fine huh yeah i don't know that's his take she may have had some plastic surgery before this one Mm, i don't know maybe but i guess he's saying that she's too slutty i don't know like trying to do too much when she could just rely on like her eyes i don't know well, yeah he, he is of, being gross yeah like there's no reason for him to like sorry to put you on blast josh larson but yeah you you failed rethink that i think that, it's yeah. some kind of nagging mechanism he's doing of <laughs> oh, uh, complimenting her eyes he's uh, trying to bait her right and make her do more come hither lips mm-hmm. in more of her films well too bad her husband killed her so okay. or was it black mold or <laughs> or we don't know. Uh, or was it her mother? Well, I guess the LAPD is just going to have to stop refusing to reopen the case. And investigators in the coroner's office are going to have to get in there, exhume the body, and check out those medals that were found in her hair. What's going on? This is okay. where the podcast turns uh, really intense. Huh? This is a true crime podcast now, right? Yeah. Yep. Okay. So uh, the last critic 
who I found on Rotten Tomatoes, who I know, or, well, I don't know him personally, he's dead, but also the only one that I'm familiar with that I like who gave this a positive review is Roger Ebert. And Way so, to drop that bomb. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Roger Ebert gave this three out of four stars. So it starts thus. The theory is that Brittany Murphy is trying to channel Marilyn Monroe. But as I watched Uptown Girls, another name came to mind, Lucille Ball. Murphy has a kind of divine ineptitude that moves beyond Marilyn's helplessness into Lucy's dizzy lovability. She's like a magnet for whoops moments. I am really glad that he picked up on this because it is very Lucille Ball. The cookies on fire, the pig bath. Even when she's leaving that FIT office, her like big portfolio is like knocking down like art and stuff. Like there's so much. It's really funny. He goes on to talk about the Independent Spirit Awards that were like the year before this, where she was presenting an award and she just like couldn't get through it. Like she kept announcing the wrong people as the winners and things like that. And he talks about how to him, it almost seemed intentional. And even if it wasn't, that she has that quality. I want to lay out a spectrum for you guys of women who are in these like whoops or silly moments that make people go, what's going on from unintentional to intentional. So unintentional being Jessica Simpson to intentional being Amy Sedaris. I feel like Amy Sedaris is very in control of what she's doing and it's mm-hmm. all for effect and or JLD. JLD? Uh, oh, sorry. Oh, yeah. Well, let's put her over in that category too. She's our friend, so we call her JLD. I feel like Brittany Murphy is right smack in the middle of those things. Mm. I don't think that she is like really a writer in the sense that she can sort of anticipate these moments coming where she's like creating them. But I think she finds herself in them and she knows how to gracefully make them work. And it's so charming and it's so fun. There's a lot of grace, right? I think it's time now for us to kind of give our final impressions so sasha if you want to talk a little bit about uptown girls give it a rating and then tell us what you think of britney murphy so yeah, i'm just what trying to think? think like what would be the movie of that sort that is high up on that scale because i'm not really big rom-com person but is this a rom-com i mean if we just take like a i don't know like a bill murray movie that's that works like that works. groundhog day yeah if the that's greatest a 10, movie of all time yeah then I'm afraid to say this would be a two uh, for me. I would not even call it the plot holes, the issues that I was having with Mm -hmm. it. I was very confused when Neil was staying over at Molly's place. At one point, she wanted him to leave, and then immediately would cut to the scene where she really wanted him to stay. And I don't know if they were like trying to establish sort of her like a borderline personality but i don't think that's what they were doing i think it was just portraying a woman who is quote-unquote irrational flighty talks too much there's just things that would like elderly or middle-aged man would think of a woman portrayed in a comedy film that i felt like there was just a lot of that i was presented with that i just kept like pushing back against Mm -hmm. that and so despite really liking dakota fanning i just could not enjoy the movie mm. and then i love the character dakota fanning was playing like the person the old little like like man with you she know. straight up looked like betty white at times she, yeah like there were scenes... danny devito it was movie. yeah great. exactly uh what about you steven i think a lot of what you said rings true i would be more generous to the film someone uh, be... has to be <laughs> well i think we know someone who's going to be very generous to it um but i would place it more to five 
neutral. Yeah, because I do really like Brittany Murphy and Dakota Fanning both in this movie. And that goes a long way for me. And also, this movie, you know, it could be written off as like a very simple movie. It is trying for a lot of emotions and things that are hard to articulate, which most comedies and definitely not rom-coms are going to avoid, you know. But I do think the pacing is not great. You know, I've already gone into in-depth on why I don't like the ending. And what you're saying about how this movie's kind of being projected through the eye of, like, a middle-aged man makes me wonder, you know, like, what would, like, Nora Ephron have done with this movie? Mm -hmm. You know, like, Mm -hmm. what could a woman with like some of these experiences have done with this movie. Um, And as far as Brittany Murphy goes, yeah, I think she was a really wonderful talent with such a unique energy. And she always brought an interesting angle to the parts that she was in. And uh, yeah, it's very sad that, uh, you know, something happened to her and we will not investigate it in this podcast. We we cannot. The LAPD will not allow it. Uh, It does not fall under our purview. Guys, do you, like, understand that, like, after she died, her mom and her then-husband started a memorial fund uh, with money that they were supposed to give. It was charity money. They were supposed to give to fund art students, like kids who are pursuing acting, theater, whatever. And they never officially registered it with the government. So it was found out to be a fraud. And then they said, oh, well... We were just overcome with grief after the passing of Brittany Murphy, so we just couldn't bring ourselves to submit all the paperwork. This That's, is fascinating. Didn't he also die? Five months. And then he died that? exactly five yeah. months after she did. Same exact Whoa. cause of death. Guys. I have so many questions. This there's is... foul play. <laughs> all right. We'll call the lead detective after this. Lorraine, how about, can you rate Uptown Girls? Well, the Molly Gunn in me is saying oh, this is a seven, eight, nine <laughs> on the scale mm-hmm. of rom coms, mm-hmm. comedies in general. Mm-hmm. That's the fun, indulgent part of me. That's a child forever. Is like this movie gave me everything I want. So why would I ask for more? The critic, writer, thoughtful adult, registered voter, Lorraine de Graffenry, <laughs> would say like six point five because it's missing a lot. It's but, missing quite a bit. I think you much like the characters in this movie would do a disservice to yourself to not embrace both of those parts. Thank you. I would love like a reboot. Like, can we do another one? Can we do have another go at it? What if there's some kind of moment where we see Neil soul searching or, or being rejected by another woman, or we see a meeting with an executive or being where murdered. they're like, or being murdered or Even- suffocating from black mold. <laughs> yes. Yeah. What if every scene had Donald Faison in it? Just imagine <laughs> the possibilities for a redo on this. I love this movie. I would watch it a million times. After I was done watching it last night, I was like, I would watch this again right now. <laughs> okay, I'm done. All thank right. you guys for listening. Lorraine, thank you for being here. Is there anything you'd like to plug before we Sure, go? sure, sure. Hey, everybody. My name is Lorraine DeGraffenright. I'm on a mod team at UCB Theater LA. We got Mod Night every Wednesday, 8.30 p.m. at UCB Sunset. But if you want to see my team, the summer of, you go ahead. You get your booty out to UCB Sunset first Wednesday of every month, 8.30 p.m. Also, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Lorraine with five R's. <laughs> Good luck. And I'm also on Instagram. I'm at Lorenki Dank. I don't feel like spelling it. You should come to the Moving Arts Theater on Hyperion Avenue, Good. second and fourth Thursday of every month. Or at 9 p.m., you'll see the direct-to-video awards. Thank you, Elizabeth Salute, for our artwork. Mm, thank you, Andrew Hayworth, for our theme music. Thank you, Jay Hunter, for production support. And, and we'll- thank you 